So as I was preparing for the sermon this week, the song, Tell Me the Stories of Jesus, became stuck in my head. You all are probably familiar with this song, and I'm not going to sing it, but the first verse goes, Tell me the stories of Jesus I love to hear, things I would ask him to tell me if he were here, scenes by the wayside, tales of the sea, stories of Jesus, tell them to me. You are welcome. That will now be stuck in your heads all day. When we gather on Sunday mornings, or honestly any time, to worship and share stories about our triune God and our traditions, God calls us together as disciples to remind each other of these stories and to do our best to live into the call of follow me. It's an invitation to a grace-filled relationship, but that grace came at a great cost. And at the heart of our beliefs and our faith is a humble servant, God as man, giving his own life for the sake of many. And as we turn to today's text and stand at the foot of the cross, we come face to face with our own sins, our suffering, our salvation, and the sovereignty of God. Christ's kingship, the kingdom of God, is a different kind of power, a different kind of reign, one that doesn't hold control and authority over, but invites all to the same table. God's kingdom will not rise and it will not fall. It is steadfast and everlasting. Let us return to the story that calls us here, reading from Matthew chapter 27, verses 38 through 54. Hear now the word of God. They crucified Jesus with two outlaws, one on his right side and one on his left. Those who were walking by insulted Jesus, shaking their heads and saying, so you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, were you? Save yourself. If you're God's son, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests, along with the legal experts and the elders, were making fun of him, saying, He saved others, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel, so let him come down from the cross now. Then we'll believe in him. He trusts in God, so let God deliver him now if he wants to. He said, I am God's son. The outlaws who were crucified with him insulted him in the same way. From noon until three in the afternoon, the whole earth was dark. At about three, Jesus cried out with a loud shout, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you left me? After hearing him, some standing there said, he's calling for Elijah. One of them ran over, took a sponge full of vinegar, and put it on a pole. He offered it to Jesus to drink. But the rest of them said, wait, let's see if Elijah will come and save him. Again, Jesus cried out with a loud shout, sending forth the Spirit. 
Look, the curtain of the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised. After Jesus' resurrection, they came out of their graves and went into the holy city where they appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and what had just happened, they were filled with awe and said, This was certainly God's Son. The Holy Word of God. Thanks be to God. So as we have mentioned a couple times, Christ the King Sunday is the final Sunday of our liturgical calendar when we celebrate God's sovereignty. It marks the end of what we call ordinary time and moves us into the threshold of Advent. But ordinary time doesn't mean usual or not special. It has more to do with ordered time or counted time, the time in between. Nothing about these last several months or almost two years has felt ordinary, and you may be wishing it did feel a little more usual, calm, and predictable. We celebrate this feast day in the, in the midst of our own feasting season, in which we give thanks and harvest all that has been sown in the last year. For this community, this space of worship, for you, the people of Selwyn, for the wonderful crew who serves us in worship, for our community partners, for our amazing God who rules with justice and mercy and grace, for the sacrifice of Jesus. It is truly right to give our thanks and praise. Today's text is situated at the end of the book of Matthew, and the Roman tax collector is concerned with connecting the revelations of the prophets in the culmination of God's covenant promise. He's concerned with telling the story of Jesus, and as we see in today's text, he is setting the scene for us, almost as if he were saying, picture this. Jesus in this book is the focus of almost every story, and that's not only because his teaching and radical notions of what the kingdom is and looks like are examples for all of us, but because Jesus is the instrument of God's activity on earth. He is saying God's reign is eternal and inclusive, and in the face of great suffering, we remember what God has promised to Abraham and Noah and David and Moses, that through Christ, God's covenant and rule will be realized in the form of flesh who lived and dwelt among us. God's power is evident and mighty in this text. The signs are cosmic, cultic as the temple veil is split into two, and holy people are raised from the graves and seem to kind of hang out until after Jesus' resurrection. God in this moment is changing the nature and fate of humanity. Jesus dies and this is God's response. 
And if we know anything about God's power in the Bible, when supernatural events happen, Yahweh is certainly in the room. In whether this depiction is historical fact or metaphorical imagery, grace upon grace upon grace floods out, and it is if God is saying, no longer am I to be reserved for only a certain few. No longer do you get to say who is in and who is out. The rending of the veil gives space for all to commune with God. You are invited and belong here. As Craig Barnes said, at the rending of the veil, God's holiness spills and runs out so that every corner of the world that God has always claimed and has never given up may be restored. In the worst corners where darkness dwells, Christ is there. This is the ultimate Exodus moment when God parts the Red Sea and God tore the veil temple in two. No longer are we slaves to sin, no longer is suffering in vain, and no longer does death have the final word. Historically, we've used the word, the word temple is phantom. So anything outside of the temple was profanum, which is where we get the word profane. There was a distinction between what was considered holy and things that were unholy. Richard Rohr expresses that the, temp the temple veil splitting from top to bottom is saying that the division of life is over. Everything now is potentially the phantom, the holy, the temple. There is nothing that is not spiritual, nothing to which God is not available and given, which is the core meaning of incarnation. And maybe this may, may not be you, but if I could have it my way, I would prefer to know where things reside, for all to be neat and orderly and usually within the confines of self-made boxes, it makes things easier and more predictable. But what happens is we quickly turn our hope and trust to things of this world. You know, the things we can control. And we have some reason to begin to expect that we will find salvation in the next thing we seek. Holy and ordinary, sacred and profane, we like to talk in terms of one or the other, this or that. And if we could just figure out the world and just figure out each other, then maybe we could keep ourselves safe and happy and comfortable. I am witnessing this seeking firsthand with my four-year-old. He is trying to figure out the world for himself, testing boundaries and asking endless questions about the way the world works. Every time we get in the car, I have to mentally prepare myself for the series of questions that he is working on. Before I can even put the car in reverse to back out of the driveway, Mama, did God make that house? No, honey, but God made the people who made that house. 
Mama, did God make the trees? Well, yes, God provided the ground, the rain, the sunshine, and seeds to make big trees. Mama, did God make the road? God made the people who made the road. Mama, did God make me? Did I sleep in God's belly? Now this is where I have to contain myself and remember that he is only four years old. Yes, honey, God knit you perfectly together in my belly, but you were on God's mind before mommy was even born. And you are loved and you belong and this world is going to be really ugly sometimes and you will suffer, but God is bigger and he is with you and no matter what mistakes you make, God will always love you. But we do this constantly, all day, doubting, questioning, trying to make meaning, and that's not something to fear. Faith is constantly seeking understanding. It's okay to ask the hard questions. Jesus asked the big why question on the cross. The cross raises questions about God's power and sovereignty and love for us. But on the cross, God is all-powerful and all-loving, all at the same time. The shape of God's power is different. God's power is divine. Matthew Kirkpatrick writes, Instead of a conquering hero, a political giant, or a philosophical genius who we could understand and judge to be worthy of our allegiance, Christ comes in the very weakness and vulnerability that humankind fears. And even when he wasn't on the cross, Jesus was constantly being told who he was not. You have no authority, no proof. You grew up poor, you are poor. I mean, how were you even born? Your mom was a teenager. You are not a king. You're a criminal. And at this point in the story, it would seem that the political powers got their way. I mean, even at his death, they are still guarding his body. But then the earth shook, the rocks split, and the saints were raised from the dead. The temple veil was split in two. Jesus gave up the spirit. God's covenant was fulfilled and everything changed. The experience of the centurion voicing his moment of conviction claiming this man was certainly God's son. What did we just do? Karen Brow interprets this moment as an uneasiness of who Jesus really is in the way that the crucified Christ translates, translates into our public life together. When the powers that are supposed to protect and advocate for people don't seem to come out on the side of justice. And I have to imagine that even to this day when that happens, the earth breaks just as it did for Jesus. Brow continues that one of the gifts the centurion provides us 
is teaching that in situations where if we hang in through all the life stuff, all the stuff that life throws at us, we may be able to gain just a little insight into the unusual ways God is made manifest in the world. Graves are open, the saints rise, death is destroyed. God is most certainly present. Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes that the divine power is found in the midst of human vulnerability, not transcending it. See, God's power is active where general human opinion assumes it is absent in Jesus' suffering and in our suffering as well. God is inaugurating the new covenant. Israel has been waiting and hoping and expecting an all-powerful Messiah. But God, God has sent one who would renounce the use of force against his enemies and submit instead to suffering and death. But what they are witnessing and what we are witnessing is the most powerful expression of sovereignty that one could ever express. A God who was and is in control. A God whose ultimate power and authority is held on the cross. The power of God is not manifest in Jesus coming down, but in his enduring. He wasn't going to defeat the Roman authorities or overturn Caesar's rule. He wasn't going to use weapons and an army to bring down the whole nation. His call began at baptism. And just like the waters he went through, the waters the Israelites went through, Jesus too had to go through this suffering. These waters to get to the promised land. Jesus was and is about radical shifts, and this moment is no different. And like the Holy Spirit, which too thrusts us into the world, asking us to take this story with us. God is on the move, and so are we. And we watch in awe and gratitude, remembering the waters of our own baptism. And we hear the voice that says to us, you too are my beloved child. Are you ready to follow me? Whatever people will say. Because of God's grace and power, we are free to go into this world, into places where darkness threatens, with confidence that God is present. This walk is never easy, and anyone who tries to sell you a Christian life that is a walk in the park is trying to sell some cheap grace. Our story is one that doesn't come easy. It is costly grace. But friends, we remain confident that each of us have a, a sanctified purpose behind what we are doing. And that kind of power is divine. Thanks be to God. Amen.
may be seated. Let us join our hearts and minds together in prayer. Almighty God, you give us more love than we can imagine, more mercy than we deserve, and more grace than we can fathom. You have shown yourself in Jesus Christ as a God who meets us right where we are and loves us just as we are. We are glad for this day and grateful for your many gifts. You bring good things into our lives, more than we can name, more than we can number. We are thankful, not just this week, but each of them. You give us the bread of life, sustaining our souls and feeding our deepest hungers. You accompany us on our way and give us other saints to walk alongside us. Thank you for your abundant faithfulness. Our hearts are full of many things today. Disease and death and pain and sorrow are constantly among us. The journey through these days is marked by uncertainty and heartache. We are frequently overwhelmed by the needs around us and within us. Some need healing, some need encouragement, some need comfort, some need assurance. We all need hope. So we turn to you asking you to hear our prayers and grant what we need for the living of these days. We pray for our nation, for the divisiveness, the anger, the violence, and lack of forbearance and grace with one another. We pray for those confused and demoralized by our system of justice. We pray for those who serve this system tirelessly, truly seeking justice for all your children. We pray for those who are denied justice, and we pray for those who have the luxury of being unaware of the pain of this moment. Enlighten us, heal us, and stir up in us an urgent need to work for a more equitable world for all of your children. We pray for our siblings waking up in shelters or in cold tents today, for our Montclair families, the teachers and GEP staff, for our hungry neighbors near and far. Refresh us in the values of your heart, justice, righteousness, compassion, mercy, peace, and love. May the waters of your grace continually refresh and empower us to extend the love of Jesus to all people. We pray for the church everywhere and for our congregation here on Selwyn Avenue, for our life together and for our efforts to follow in the way of Jesus. Hear us, hold us, heal us, help us. For the sake of our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray like this, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. In just a few moments, we will sing the doxology. We sing it so much that we may forget to emote what we sing. Praise God from whom all blessings flow.
Yes, all that we have comes from God, and one of the ways it flows is when we share it, our lives and our treasures with each other and the world. We invite you to consider ways in which you might deepen your discipleship and gift of time and treasure. Let us give freely of our lives. Yeah. 
join me in prayer as we dedicate our offerings. God of creation, the earth is yours and everything in it. We have simply been endowed by your gracious blessings so that we may do good and faithful work. Accept our gifts, the gifts of your hands, our hearts, our actions, our words, our resources, that your kingdom reigns on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Let us go from this place knowing that God is with us in all places. Now may the grace of Lord Jesus, the love of God, and the companionship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen. Every tongue confess. 